Welcome to the 12 Weeks to Wellness and Optimal Health special presentation. This is the first of 12 that Dr. Youngberg will be presenting. And it's my, uh, my privilege to welcome you here. And also, uh, even though we have a number of people still coming into this auditorium, this is the first time from this place that we are actually doing a live streaming event. And uh, so there are many, in fact, I was told that over a thousand people have registered for this conference that are, most of the people will be watching it via the internet tonight from somewhere around the world. But it's my privilege to introduce Dr. Youngberg this evening. Uh, Dr. Wes Youngberg is um, a very good friend first. He's a consummate professional. He's a graduate of Loma Linda University, uh, has a master's degree in nutrition, a doctorate in preventive clinical uh, care. Uh, he practices at the Youngberg Lifestyle Medicine Clinic in Temecula, California, and he has helped many, many individuals, countless individuals, to obtain a higher level of health for themselves. Um, I know that probably many of you here tonight would say that you, he has been greatly helpful to you uh, in this process. And it is our privilege to welcome you. And I just want to say a, a word of welcome to those of you who are joining us from somewhere around the world uh, tonight by internet and live streaming. We're glad to have you here too. And at this time, I'd like to invite you just to welcome uh, warmly Dr. Wes Youngberg. Thank you, Dan. I, I very much appreciate uh, that introduction. I also want to uh, say I'm glad that some of you braved uh, this beautiful weather to come and be here on site, uh, but I also want to uh, welcome all of those who are, are watching live all around the world. Especially, I want to do a shout out half a day to all my Chamorro brothers and sisters in Guam, uh, many of which are actually watching this live at the Guam Seventh Adventist Clinic, where my family and I spent 14 years from 1994 until 2008, so, so it's good to be back on Guam, even though it's virtually at the moment. I'm sure I'll be back there sometime soon. Today, we have an opportunity to begin a 12-week series. Now, actually, we've been doing 12-week series for many, many years. Actually, this all started in Guam uh, about 20 years ago where we realized that we needed to provide a program for the people who lived nearby. Not a live-in program where you had to fly somewhere and spend thousands and thousands of dollars, but a program that was available right in your own community. So fortunately now with, um, with technology, not only can we offer a program that's available right in this community in Southern California, uh, which, by the way, for those of you watching who are not familiar with uh, Fallbrook and Temecula area, Fallbrook is world famous for its avocado festivals. Uh, it's one of the most uh, attended festivals in the United States. Uh, it's, um, it's about an hour north of San Diego, right, in north San Diego County, and about an hour south from Loma Linda University. So, so now you can kind of picture where we're at. And yes, it's pretty nice weather outside today. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're really glad to be here. But we're glad you're listening. This is the, the first of a 12-week series where we begin by looking at how do we reach our genetic potential. I was just reading a study 
by Dr. David Eddy, a, a renowned researcher, a physician, uh, who also has a PhD in mathematics. And he did an interesting study. It was called the Archimedes study. And in this study, he actually did a simulation. He took over 20,000 individuals from actual NIH studies and put them into a simulated computerized study, starting them all at age 20 and ending the study at age 60. In that study, they controlled for every single risk factor, but then in a computer-simulated way, they, they fixed one of the risk factors. As we go through this series, I'm going to be sharing those top nine priorities, the, the risk factors that had the greatest impact on the health of that population. You know what the, la the, the least important of all those risk factors were? in terms of how it actually impacted their outcome, it was family history. Family history, when properly controlled for in this virtual simulated study, accounted for 9% of the total risk. Now, that's still important, right? If you miss 9% on a test, that means... And when one question, that means that you have to be perfect in pretty much all the other questions, or you're not going to get an A. You're not going to be optimizing your genetic potential. So the, I'm not suggesting that we don't pay attention to our family history. In fact, I'm suggesting the opposite. By paying attention to what our family history tells us, we can literally bypass the actual risk associated with the genes that are lurking uh, and are potentially turned off when they should be turned on, or turned on when we want them to be turned off, whether they be a cancer gene or a heart disease gene or a diabetes gene or whatever it might be. So, so we want to think deeply about what our family history is so that we can now begin to focus on the right strategies that can help us reach our genetic potential. So we're initiating transformational change. It all starts now. Those of you that are registered either here on site or watching uh, via the internet, we will be sending you emails on a regular basis with access to handouts that will help you process what is it that you actually want to accomplish during these 12 weeks. See, knowledge is power, but awareness of your personal risk is what initiates transformational change. So my goal is to actually make this a clinical program for you where you are now learning things about yourself that you never knew, where you can actually uh, transform your genetic risk. So another way of, of referring to this, this first presentation in this 12-week series is how do we turn good genes on into bad genes off? And the good news is that, that there is real potential. We're looking at mastering our genetic risk with lifestyle and nutritional medicine. Now, um, you know, that, that's really important because in the world that we live in today, there's a lot of hopelessness. Am I right? There's a lot of hopelessness. There's many people out there that feel that there really isn't any hope for them. They have essentially emotionally given up. 
They're not trying anymore. Why, why should I try to improve my health if it's all genetic anyways? If it's all been predetermined for me even at conception? So we have to have a proper understanding on that. So we all need hope, and that's, that's the most important thing that I hope to share, is to give you a new sense of, hey, there is hope, and secondarily, I can do this. I can reach my genetic potential if I'm willing to do what it takes. So if I'm willing to put some effort into this process. Now, um, individuals say, well, what about heart disease? You know, isn't that just genetic? How about high blood pressure, high diabetes, depression, chronic fatigue, joint pains? You fill in the blank. Whatever ails you, whatever challenge you have, whatever your family history has placed in your lap, there is hope for you. Okay, so um, I, I'm in particular, I, I really have a concern for not just the typical middle-aged person or elderly person that finally realizes that they need to do something about their health now. It's never too late, by the way. We can always I always begin to transform our health. But what, what I, is really concerning me is that I'm seeing more and more patients in their late 20s and early 30s. They have young children potentially, and they already are suffering the consequences, the complications of chronic disease. They're already struggling with, with a high risk of liver failure, of kidney failure. What about them? Is there any hope for them? And I want to suggest that absolutely. When we take uh, a step back and look at the bigger perspective and start, start filling in the gaps. In fact, that's one, one of the things I'm going to be recommending to all of you is, is, is to have a discussion with your personal physician, with your healthcare team, and figure out what a broader approach to testing is than the traditional yearly physical. Those are good tests. Well, many of us, I hope all of us have had that lipid profile, that, that profile that looks at the total cholesterol, the HDL, the good cholesterol, the LDL, the bad cholesterol, the triglycerides, the blood fat, and so forth. But did you know that 60% of people who have heart attacks had a perfect or normal lipid profile? Their cholesterol was fine, their triglycerides were fine, their HDL was good, their LDL was good. So they walk away from that visit going, I'm good. And some of them, hopefully none of us here are watching uh, this program, some people walk away thinking, I don't really need to do that stuff. I don't need to worry about my wellness because the doctor just gave me an A. My cholesterol is great. And in today's mindset, we know, right, that it's almost all about cholesterol. We're going to see that actually that's not true. There's many things far, far more important about our health than what our cholesterol levels. I would rather have a high cholesterol for my whole life and be on a good diet and exercise program than to have a low cholesterol and not be on a good diet and exercise program. I guarantee you that those who follow the process of health will be healthier even if they still struggle with some of those traditional risk factors. Okay? So, so, uh, uh, we're going to be reviewing this great research from Dr. David Eddy as we look at how we can impact everybody's health positively. 
So many people said, but I got bad genes. Uh, have you ever seen a person wearing a t-shirt? It's genetic, <laughs> right? It's, it's kind of funny, it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's also suggesting that, hey, give me a break, which is okay, but I can't do anything about it. This is genetic. And that's where I have a problem with that. Because I believe, well, it's not just what I believe, it's what, it's what the medical research says. Genetics and epigenetics is now telling us so that we all have hope, we all have the potential to actually conquer the challenge of our genes. Many people say, que sera, sera, you know, what is, must be God's will. This is just the way I was born, this is just the way it's going to work. That's, that's my path in life. That's how I've been predetermined, and it's simply not true. We're not predetermined. In fact, um, as we look at what determines our health, uh, is it fate? Is it nature, nurture? Is it genes or environment? So we're going to be looking at this all throughout this series. And I begin with a real quick overview of the story, one of my favorite stories, the fat yellow mouse. About 15 years ago, I was reading a study in, in uh, Cellular Biology Journal. I assure you I don't read that on a monthly basis, but it, there's just something that caught me, uh, my attention as I was looking at that journal online. And I I saw this study by, by doc, uh, Dr. Jurdo at Duke University. He heads up this huge genomic laboratory at Duke University, and, and he, he found something revolutionary, something that changed the entire perspective of what, re, what genetic risk really is. Essentially, there's a group of mice called the agouti mice. These are fat, yellow mama mice. Mice are supposed to be lean, brown, and have lots of energy. These, these mice were the opposite. They had actually been genetically bred to, to be fat, become diabetic very quickly, develop heart disease, and many of them would die of cancer prematurely. That's a pretty big triple whammy, or quadruple whammy. And, and so uh, what, what's interesting is that he took these fat yellow mice, and he divided them equally into two groups randomly, and half of them, in fact, all of them received the Purina mouse child diet, but half of them also received super nutrients. These are nutrients like genistein that you would find in whole soy bean products. Uh, these, are, these are nutrients like folate, the whole food folate, that has such a powerful influence on on what we now know actually changing major genetic mutation. I should rephrase that. It doesn't change the mutation, it bypasses it. You can literally bypass a major genetic mutation by just having enough of the right nutrient on board. That is why the next session is so critical for us because we're gonna be looking at, at the nutritional challenges in front of us. We're gonna be looking at, at the, I should say, opportunities because we literally have an opportunity by eating the right foods, eating what I call first-class foods, we can powerfully alter and change the actual expression of our genetic risk. And so we're going to be, look, so that, in this study at Duke University, they, what happened is, is within, within a generation of these fat yellow mama mice eating the right super nutrients, they started giving birth to not fat yellow mice, but lean brown-coated mice. So, well, wait a minute. These mice initially had the gene that coded 
for a dominant yellow coat and, and dominance to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. So what happened? So they actually looked at the genes in these mice. And as you're looking at this picture, you say, well, these can't really be the same type of mice. But in fact, they are genetically identical in every way. Genetically identical in every way. What's different is that some of that gene in particular that, that coded for all that disease process had been turned off. Still there. You see, we all have genes inside of our bodies that, if turned on, could kill us. We also have genes inside our body that, if turned on, could dramatically speed the healing potential that we all have. So, so really, it's all about finding a strategy or a group of strategies that can powerfully help us genetically activate the healing process, to speed the healing process, and secondarily, to slow down the aging process. Now, we're all going to get old. I know I'm going to get old. But my goal is to get old like some of you right here. Okay, I, I, I want to be like Julie Phillips, who, who jumped out of a perfectly good airplane at the age 90. Okay? She did have a parachute. Okay? Just happened just a few days ago. I, I took a, I'll show a picture of, uh, of this later on uh, in another session. But I was so impressed. Now that, you know, if we put our mind to it, improving our health is going to be a lot easier than jumping out of a perfectly good airplane at, at 3,000, 4,000 feet, whatever it was. <laughs> okay? So, all right, so the, the, essentially these fat yellow mice, given the right nutrients, were able to give birth to mice that were now healthy, even though they still carried that gene that had been transmitted, that had been essentially uh, inherited to them. This is, uh, this is very important. That means that the children, uh, and I'm talking now to the younger generation, those of you that hope or plan to someday have children, you all have genes potentially right now turned down that aren't very good for you. Do you know that when you have children, you will not only, you not only transfer your genes to them, but you also transfer whether those genes are turned on or turned off. Ah, this is a whole new opportunity that, that you have to make good choices now. In other words, please do not wait until you're my age, in your mid-50s, to say, hey, maybe, maybe I should start taking care of my health, Okay? Start doing it now. Take advantage of that, and your children will thank you for their entire lives and tr dramatically transform the genetic expression of your children by paying attention to it. So pretty, you know, pretty sobering, but also very encouraging. In other words, there's something you can do. Okay, I want to. I, when I was young, I wanted to be able to to provide the very best opportunity for my kids, right? I mean, we're all that way as parents. 
Okay? But at the time, I didn't realize that, that, in, that I was also not just donating my genes to my children, but the way the genes had been used during my early uh, uh, youth and, and young adulthood. So, interesting things to think about. So, um, the, the, what's interesting is that, of course, this doesn't just apply to mice. <laughs> this applies to you and me as well. And so, as you can see, that this is a picture on the screen of, of uh, young girls who are clearly identical twins. And now, uh, fast forward uh, 50 or 55 years, and you have clearly these genetically identical twins, similar in many respects, except there's a major difference between them. And the difference is that while one of these women is enjoying good health, the other one has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. In other words, here we cannot blame genetics for what has occurred. Clearly, there's something in their past, what we call the exposome, all the things in our environment, in our lifestyle, the choices that we make, and then many times choices that we don't make. It's choices that our parents made or choices that other people made and how they contaminated the environment around us. All these things represent the exposome of what impacts our personal genetic expression. So, um, epigenetics. You know that there, we can, we can uh, do a blood sample or a hair sample or a saliva sample and find out okay, who it belongs to. If there is a genetic data bank somewhere, right? If, if, if uh, you're at a crime lab, you can take a sample and you can pretty much figure out who that person is. But nowadays, we can actually not only do a, an analysis of the genetic profile, but we can also do an analysis of whether the genes have been turned on or turned off. We can actually do the test physiologically in the lab. So we can see what's happening. Uh, and we're going to be looking at some studies here on how that works. And I'm excited about this because I've, I, I and a few other researchers and and uh, colleagues have an opportunity to actually be involved in looking at how a comprehensive lifestyle program can change our epigenome. We plan to actually measure it in a large group of individuals and put them through a program and see how that changes and how that compares to all the various biomarkers that we will be covering in this 12-week series. So epigenetics is the factors that affect the way genes work independently of the genes themselves. That's what epigenetics means. So I want to begin our discussion today by telling you a story of a patient of mine, actually in Guam, a patient that I'll call David. Uh, and and it, it helps us understand the importance. The very first thing we want to make sure we have right is that we want to have our attitude right. That's why, that's why this series is beginning with an understanding of our genetic potential, what we actually can accomplish. 
Everybody has the power to turn on good genes and turn off bad genes. We all do, if we're willing to make the right choices. And David's story is powerful because he was in a position at one point in his life as the resident manager of a very large resort where some people would say he had it all. He had a penthouse suite and this this, uh, huge tower overlooking a, a beautiful turquoise bay, Tumon Bay. But see, he was also responsible for over 400 employees. And something was amiss. Something was wrong. David just didn't feel right. His doctor had found that he had very high blood pressure. He wasn't handling stress real well. And so he started blood pressure medications, and and he was getting more and more anxious all the time. And uh, one day, he's, um, he's dealing with one of his middle managers. And he started having kind of a disagreement with a middle manager, and you know, he's a resident manager. He's second in charge of this huge complex, and he wants the middle manager to, to do what he's been asked to do, but there's this dispute. Now, David, six foot five, 332 pounds, played football, University of Hawaii. Big guy, strong guy. He got so frustrated, he told me later that I, I was actually getting ready to cold cock him. And as he stopped himself, because he felt himself shaking, he realized that he'd almost lost his job and his dream of becoming a general manager of a major resort because he could not control his temper. He wasn't thinking good thoughts at all. I remember it was a Friday morning and um, and I'd had a cancellation late in the morning, so I'm thinking, good, this will give me a chance to clear, the, clear my desk of all the charts and, and all the things you have to do before the end of the week. And uh, all of a sudden, my nurse come, shows up and says, Dr. Youngberg, you, your patient's here. And I go like, my patient's here? I thought I had a, an hour to work on my, my charts. And here walks in David, six foot five, big guy. Welcomed him to sit Nick, uh, sitting in, in my office, and he says, uh, "Let me tell you a story." He says, uh, "This morning, not more than an hour and a half ago, I called you up, your clinic up, and I, I had no idea I could get in so fast. <laughs> but there was kind of a divine appointment brewing here. God, re- God knew that He needed to be seen right away. He worked it out. Uh, and He says to me, He, he said, Doc, I was." Uh, I was up in my penthouse suite with my wife and five-year-old daughter last night. And I was at my, my, in my office at my desk, and I had my head in my hands like this. And I didn't realize that I, my whole body was shaking. I was thinking about what happened just earlier in the day and how I was just a split second away from losing my job, from destroying my reputation and my career. And, and as I was contemplating what in the world I was going to do about this, I felt a little hand come up around my shoulder and hold me and whisper into my ear, Daddy, I don't want you to die. And, and he's telling me this with 
tears starting to come down his eyes, big ex-football player, and he said, that broke my heart. My beautiful five-year-old daughter thought I was going to die. And you know, as I thought about it, I could have. If, if, if I don't get, if I don't figure out what's going on, I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm going to have a stroke. I'm going to blow a gasket. I'm going to do something foolish. And then my family is going to be embarrassed. Fortunately, we were starting a comprehensive lifestyle medicine program that very weekend. Boy, it's amazing how some things work out, right? It was a plan there. And, uh, and so I said, I said, David, we can work this out, man. And he said, I need, I need something. Says, uh, I said, you know what? Let's start you on Sunday. T- tomorrow, let's get you all your labs done. So he had a four-hour glucose tolerance test. He, he got everything, Oregon. He got all, all his tests done. And here's a few of them. His weight was 332. His blood pressure was at 140 over 100 with medication. His cholesterol was 246, no question, heart attack alley area. Uh, The LDL super high, we really wanted under 100, and it was 183. The HDL, the, the healthy cholesterol, was 34. Anything under 45 for men represents independent risk for cardiovascular disease. Triglycerides, the blood fats, 144. We used to say years ago, 20 years ago, eh, if it's under 300, it's fine. Then we start looking at the studies, and we go, eh, if it's under 200, it's okay. And then about you know, a few years later, it went uh, under 150 is good. The new guidelines published recently say, no, 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 you got to get triglycerides, the blood fats under 100. And so he was even higher then. His fasting blood sugar was only four points away from full-blown diabetes. So he had advanced pre-diabetes, didn't even know. Most of these things he wasn't aware of at all. His fasting insulin, which should be less than 7 ideally, at least under 10, was 17. He was very insulin resistant. And we're going to be learning this 12-week series what it means to be insulin resistant and how that actually is one of the biggest risk factors that drives our personal risk not only for diabetes, but also heart disease and cancer and headaches and infertility and autoimmune disease and on and on and on. So I'm going to show you in this series how to figure out whether you're insulin resistant. Uh, and then his cardiac CRP, the, the, one of the best measures of systemic body-wide inflammation was very high at 7. Uh, Dr. Paul Ridker, a, an esteemed cardiologist at Harvard University, was the first to champion this test. It's a far more important test than high cholesterol. And he showed that even with people, a large group of people with a normal cholesterol level, if their CRP was 2.0 or higher, they had a tremendously high risk for heart attack. So so we're going to be looking at how how do we get that under control? That'll be part of the discussion here. So um, I, I talked to David that very first Friday. And I said, David, why don't we write down some goals? And he looked at me and says, I'm way ahead of you. Came out with a sheet of paper with his three goals. Succinct, to the point. And as I looked at these goals to weigh less than 200, so you're going to have to lose 130 plus pounds to reach that goal. So my initial my initial impulse, right, was to say, David, you know, that's, that's a real long-term goal. Why don't we 
start with a mid-range goal or a short-term goal, <laughs> right? And, but, hey, here's, here's an executive. Here's somebody that understands authority. Here's somebody who understands how to set goals and to achieve goals. I wasn't going to get in his way, especially since he was 6'5 and 332. Okay, so, um, so, all right, all right, so I, I wrote that down into my chart, and Nick, what's your next goal? He says, I want to run the Honolulu Marathon. He just got done telling me how his knees hurt him all the time. I didn't really think that was a, great, a good idea or a goal to shoot for. But he says, I grew up in Hawaii, and all my life, even as a kid, I wanted to run the Honolulu Marathon. I never have. I want to do that. Just like Julie Phillips, you know, she just wants to you know, jump out of an airplane at age 90, just because some president did it at age 90, you know? I mean, that's a, that's a great goal. So that's living, okay? So, um, and then, so I said, okay, we'll, we'll come up with a plan to help you do that. And then the third goal is I want to become the general manager of a, of a five-star resort in Maui. Said, come on, man, set some goals a little higher. <laughs> okay, so all right, so that's where he was at. And um, that, so that next day, he did all his tests. Sunday, he was right there. So let's, let's see what happened. What happened next is that uh, basically he, he paid attention. He took notes at every meeting. By the way, uh, tomorrow, I'm going to be sending an email to everybody who's registered for this event, which is well over 1,000 individuals. And I'm going to send you access to a handout that will help you set your goals and to start thinking about the objectives on how you are going to reach those goals. This isn't a 12-week seminar that you just sit and listen, right? Sit and listening part is just one hour a week. The rest of it is you being active, you figuring out what you need to do, you being the chairman or the chairwoman of the board of your personal health. I can't be the chairman of the board. Your personal physician can't be the chairman of the board. Nobody can be the chairman of the board but you, or else you will not get healthy. Guaranteed, because there's nothing we can do to make you healthy. It's all about what you do. You control your genetic potential. So, um, so he completely changed his diet. No baby steps going on here. It, 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 the research, in my mind, is very clear. You're making a little change to the diet here makes a little change in your health that is hardly noticeable, okay? In other words, if you want to do this right, okay, let's just do this. Let's do it right. And then he started a walking slash jogging program. Okay, so um, within one week, David's walking past my office and says, hey, doc, don't worry about those anti-anxiety meds. I feel great. Boy, what a transformation in one week. Let me suggest to you, if you are willing to do what it takes, if you get involved to understand what works, you can start feeling great. If you're not feeling, you can start feeling much better within days. Okay? See, your, your actual risk of a stroke or a heart attack is not determined by what happened last year or two years ago or five years ago. It's largely determined by what's going on in your exposome, your environment, your lifestyle over the last two to three days. That's good news. That means if you make a change now, your experience, your actual risk immediately plummets right away. You start eating a first-class 
food diet, which are essentially the, the type of foods that generate first-class health. That's just by definition. If you start doing that, you will experience much better health. And this isn't just physically. This isn't just looking at blood tests and go, oh, I guess I'm healthier. You feel it emotionally. You feel so much better. Week two, you know, really lost 11 pounds. He had, was able to work with his personal physician to completely discontinue his blood pressure medications. His cholesterol had already dropped 54 points. Two weeks. Doesn't take three months to lower your cholesterol. It takes two to three weeks completely. All right? So when you do blood testing, what I do with my patients is I, I do the comprehensive labs, and you'll be getting more information about this. Do comprehensive labs initiate the comprehensive program, and then, and then usually test again within a month's time. Uh, the things that need to be repeated. Not everybody, not everything, of course. Just the things that were off. The things that, that we are now working on to seek to get improvement on. And so um, his, his overall blood lipids, his triglycerides, dropped by 50%. But see, David wasn't satisfied because he realized that a wellness program wasn't just two weeks, oh, I'm doing better, okay, I can kind of, kind of go back to, he, he, he was in charge of many top-level gourmet restaurants. He could walk into any of them and, tell the, and the chef would have been happy to do whatever he wanted. I thought that would be challenging for him, but you know what? He turned it into a positive. He would walk in and say, hey, guess what I'm doing? Tell the chef exactly what he's doing and what the new dietary parameters, and they were on it, right? If you want to make good friends with a chef, tell them, tell them your needs, and they will help please you within those parameters, okay? Okay, so, so uh, be assertive about your diet. Not aggressive, <laughs> just be assertive about your diet. So um, he started exercising twice a day. I didn't tell him to do that. But he started to say, you know, if I'm going to run a Honolulu Marathon, I better start putting some miles in. So he started doing walk-jog twice a day. He actually gradually worked up to 45 minutes twice a day. Now, David is the resident manager of a 1,200-room resort. If David has time to exercise 45 minutes twice a day, I suspect anybody does, you know, because he was working 20, you know, 24-7. He was on all the time. He was resonant. That was part of his stress. He couldn't go home like the general manager. That's why he wanted to be the general manager. He wanted to be able to separate once in a while with his family. Not only did he exercise regularly, and by the way, I'm not suggesting we need to exercise 45 minutes twice a day. We need to figure out how that fits into our goals and figure out a plan that's reasonable for us, right? Okay, second thing is, it's not just going on first-class foods, but it's recognizing, in David's case, he had 132 pounds to lose, okay? Which means he even, within a first-class food diet, he still needed to portion control. And that's how he was able to be so successful. So within six months, he lost 79 pounds. He had lowered his cholesterol even further, no longer pre-diabetic. He'd reversed that. Fasting and insulin was back to normal. And the cardiac CRP, the measure of inflammation, had dropped by 50%. And so as you see the progression from the beginning, two weeks, six months, and the overall six-month effect, it was powerful. It was powerful. 
But see, David still had his goal to work on. Right? He hadn't, he hadn't met any of his three goals yet. But look how much he'd accomplished. Be real careful about getting discouraged, about not reaching your goal when God has blessed you with a tremendous amount of improvement. Be real careful about and and he and he was. He 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 knew where he was headed. In fact, a year and a half goes by. During this time, a total of a year and a half goes by. During this time, um, I'm seeing him from time to time individually for consults. And then one day, I was just returning from Pasadena, California, flying back to Guam. And while in Guam at the international airport, I run into David. And I see his wife and his beautiful little seven-year-old daughter. And as I looked at him walking up the concourse, I see that he's obviously reached his first goal. Six foot five, lean and mean. I knew he could, he could catch me if he wanted to. <laughs> he was healthy and fit. And I said, I said, David, what are you doing here? He says, I lost all that weight, Doc. I go, I know, I can see, but what are you doing here? He says, guess what I did a week and a half ago? I'm thinking this is around November, so I'm looking at him because I'd seen the posters at the airport in Hawaii those big posters that celebrate the yearly Honolulu Marathon. And I go, you ran the Honolulu Marathon? He says, yeah, did it in four hours and 30 minutes. Not world record, but that was a major record for David. He'd never run it when he was in college. He'd never run it when he was in high school. He accomplished it now. Uh, and, uh, and so I said, okay, but what are you doing here with your family? And he said, oh, you haven't heard the best news of all? He says, we're moving. Maui. And as I remembered his three goals, I realized that David had accomplished a major, major feat. He was now going to be the general manager at one of the top resorts in Maui. So what is your motivation? What, what is it that, that makes you want to change? Why are you here? Why are you registered for the seminar? You want to write that down. I want you to write down in a, in a on a Word document or just write it out and, and, and save it for future reference. I want you to write out exactly how you feel right now. I want you to write out all your family history. I want, if you need more help on this, you can actually go to, to uh, my clinic's website, dryoungberg.com, and it'll show you how to write out your family history, your personal history, you know, all your health concerns, because I want you to save that for future reference. Because I frequently work with people who come back after a month or two, three months, and they go, you know, I, I don't really feel any different. And I have all the records in my, on my computer, and I go, are you kidding me? So I start reading to them how they used to feel. And they go, oh, yeah, I guess I did feel pretty bad back then. But we're into that new normal now. It's now normal to feel so much better. We just assume we always felt that way. So document where you're at now, not just with lab work, broadly, but also with what's going on subjectively in your life. What's your exposome? What are you eating? Document these things. Uh, what are you doing for exercise? So pay attention to, to uh, what your goals are. Set uh, reasonable goals. And so, so now we're looking at this, this epigenetic change in your exposome. So essentially, is, is this part of your exposome? 
If you're, if you're in a hurry and you got to stop by and grab something quick, how is this changing your gene? Okay, and, and I'll be real quick. Uh, or, or is this part of your exposome? It, it, it's interesting that it's actually the colors, the pigment colors in whole fruits, vegetables, plant-based foods that change the gene. The color isn't just pretty there so that you'll eat it. The color itself is what changes your gene. The pigment, okay? So again, we're not talking, when I'm talking about color, some people are going like, oh, like Fruit Loops or Skittles or, you know, Fruit Pops. No, that, yeah, those are colorful, but they're artificial. Just in case you didn't know, those are artificial colors. They, they don't improve your epigenome. They actually turn off the good genes and turn on the bad genes. So make sure you're making the right color choices uh, uh, from the right place, okay? And so, essentially, we have over 20, we have roughly 20,000 genes that control everything in our bodies. But guess what? This frontal lobe right here, this is what controls those 20,000 genes, right? You have power over that, not many times indirectly, they just, we're going to have a whole talk on sleep and how critical sleep is. A full third, a 7,000 or more of your genes get turned the wrong direction if you do not sleep well. Okay? And so let me just go on record. If you do not sleep well, we got to fix that as a priority. Okay? Now, part of that is getting the entire picture figured out. Okay. So um, more on that later. Uh, researchers at the Joslin Clinic in, in uh, Boston had actually come up with an understanding or, or research showing that it is inflammation that turns on the diabetes genes. Now we actually know that inflammation turns on the cancer genes, it turns on the heart disease genes, it, it just turns on a lot of bad genes. So, so the, the take-home message here is we've got to control inflammation. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to understand how much inflammation are we exposed to, do we have? And we can do that with appropriate blood work. Okay? But it's important to note that every single health strategy that we're going to be sharing during this 12 weeks to wellness and optimal health, lower inflammation. Every single one. Okay? But we're going to be talking about which ones are the core strategies and looking at other important uh, factors that influence inflammation as well. Well, this researcher found that they could actually cause diabetes in laboratory animals by just injecting an inflammatory chemical into their blood. They all became diabetic. Okay? And then they gave them an anti-inflammatory chemical, and they all became all, all undiabetic. So he actually showed that you could reverse diabetes with, with anti-inflammatories. He was really excited, maybe thinking uh, a Nobel Prize for medicine, uh, because, see, what he had discovered is a certain form of aspirin that was able to reverse this diabetes. But then as he extrapolated how much aspirin a human would need to take in order to create enough of an anti-inflammatory effect to reverse diabetes, his, his heart fell a little bit because he realized it would be 19 to 20 full-strength aspirins every day. Now, it's documented. You could potentially, if you have diabetes, reverse your diabetes by taking 20 aspirin a day. How many takers? How about an on, on, online audience? Any takers? It, it could cure your diabetes. 
This is a, a key example of the cure being worse than the disease. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of things going on today where the cure is worse than the disease. If the cure is not addressing the cause of the problem, be very, very careful in how you approach it. If you don't address the cause, you're not impacting the gene properly. And other things that are also caused by that same factor will never be resolved. Sometimes the most important thing that we can do is not reverse the diabetes or the heart disease, but by doing so naturally, we're actually reversing our real nemesis, whatever that might be, okay? So, so we want to think broadly uh, about that. So the, um, the, uh, the Harvard, the Harvard uh, University uh, health professional study actually showed us what four of the most inflammatory foods groups are. And you know what? I'm going to tell you what those four most inflammatory food groups are at another session. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, the, uh, you know, so basically, chronic disease and health dysfunction is most often caused by deficiency. It's kind of two aspects of health. Uh, avoiding the things that tear the body down but making sure we're taking in enough of those things that build the body up. And the first step is make sure you have enough. Because if you don't have enough of the right nutrients, even, even minuscule amounts of toxins will, will take hold and impact your health negatively. We have to have enough of the right thing. So the first step is going first-class food, and we're going to be covering that at the next session. So uh, essentially, it was... It was Hippocrates who, who uh, said it best uh, many thousands of years ago, let foods be your medicine and medicine be your food. The father of modern medicine. But there's another father that's far more important than Hippocrates, and that is our heavenly father, our creator. We have a creator's operating manual in the very beginning, Genesis, the beginning, uh, uh, we see that. And, said, and God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed. And every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Our creator gave us an understanding of what was best for our optimizing our epigenome. And we're just now starting to understand how that works. So essentially, we want to choose these colorful foods that change the exposome. We want to choose these berries, which are rich in the actual methylated form of folate that can actually nutritionally bypass that MTHFR gene mutation, which is so common in our population that causes us to not be able to repair DNA. It causes us to not detoxify properly. It causes us to not be able to... Uh, uh, suppress viral replication. These are the foods that actually nutritionally bypass genetic mutations. Much more on that as we follow through on these concepts. Um, yeah, more colors, right? Just go with colors from nature. Uh, lots, of, lots of good, colorful foods. That's the first step. You want to make sure that 80% of your diet at least comes from whole plant-based Foods like we're talking about, at least 80%. The average American is getting less than 5%, and that includes French fries because for some reason, they're included in the vegetable group. 
Okay? So don't, don't follow that, that sad diet, the standard American diet, because that is guaranteed to create an exposome that will destroy your genetic potential. Okay, so uh, you've heard, no, you can't reverse disease, you can only manage it. Well, that's if you're following the standard American diet. That's very, very true. Okay, you got to get rid of the barriers to disease. So who is it or what is it that is in charge of your genes? Remember, it all starts right here. So that's why we're going to have well, several sessions during this series talking about emotions, talking about attitudes, talking about values, because what goes on here influences everything else. There was a big study that just came out in March, recently March uh, 2014, showing that, that our emotions play a huge part in our health. Really? <laughs> yeah, we've known that for a long time, but new studies are showing that over and over again. Let's pay attention to that. So we're going to essentially embark in a 12-week program of nutrigenomics, of lifestyle medicine and nutritional medicine that shows what the power of food first in altering your genetic expression and in all the other natural strategies that you can add to this to powerfully influence your health. So, um, I don't have time tonight to go over this study. So I'm going to share this, this awesome study done by Dr. Ornish at, at a following seminar. But, so I'm going, to, I'm going to scan through these real quick. Uh, you can modify your genes. Uh, you can, there's studies out there that show that in just three months, you can completely turn on and turn off genes in the right direction. And we're going to talk about this. I'm excited because I believe we're going to be doing studies that do this in one month. I believe that that genetic expression changes very, very quickly. And so it reminds me of that, of that, of that statement made by the Apostle Paul who says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, okay, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't follow what other people are doing just because it's the norm. It's the new normal. Okay? Well, the new normal is not healthy, I guarantee you. It's normal to have heart disease. It's normal to have prediabetes and diabetes. It's, it's even getting normal to have cancer. My mother died of cancer when she was 39 years old. And as a young kid, I promised myself that I was going to do everything possible to figure out what my risks are so that I wouldn't have to follow that fate. My mom lived in a, in a world, in a time, where she didn't really understand her risk. She did the best she could with what she had. Okay? And, and I'm not saying that you know, things happen to good people. Things happen to people who are healthy. Uh, who knows what might happen to me or you? But we still have the opportunity to dramatically improve our health by paying attention to this statement. It's not just a spiritual statement. It's a physiologic reality. It's a psychological reality. And if we're willing to be open-minded and incorporate this new awareness that comes from objective testing and subjective awareness of what's going on around us and then making choices every day in a positive way, we will achieve that ultimate goal. In fact, I love, I love the statement by Norman Cousins. I see Tom in the audience over here. I uh, remember uh, many years ago, I was talking about this, right, Tom? And, um, and, 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 you know, he had all these things going on. But by paying attention, 
to this statement right here. Yeah, you, you may have a diagnosis list from, from your healthcare team that, you know, takes one or two pages to fill up. I regularly work with people that have 15 to 20 documented health problems. You know, when I see that, I go, yeah, I know. I love it when I work with somebody that's really sick because they're the ones that get better the quickest. Why? Because you got nowhere else to go but up, right? And uh, so it's either death or get better. And they choose getting better. And, and we'll be sharing stories about how that can work. So Norman Cousins says, don't deny the diagnosis. Okay? Don't put your head in the sand like an ostrich and say, you know, I, I just want to do this naturally. I don't want to hear about this. No, that's never going to work that way. You need to find out what's going on. Work with your healthcare team. And once you understand what's going on, then you say, but I will defy the verdict. I will not accept that I will have this condition for the rest of my life. I will not accept that I'm just going to manage this. I will not accept that I'll just take my medicine and do whatever I've been doing all along because that's not going to work, right? Because it's not addressing the cause of the problem, okay? What I'm going to do is defy the verdict. I'm going to figure out what's wrong. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to reason from cause to effect. That's exciting. That gives us hope. No more sitting on the sidelines, letting our doctor and our nurse and other healthcare team make all the decisions about us. That's not our job. Our job is to give you information, give you awareness. You make the change, right? I need to make the change if I'm going to get healthier. My doctor can't do that for me. So um, the uh, 70, at least 70 percent, this is a very conservative figure, depends upon us. Uh, we know that if our genes are the, are the cards that we're dealt, then epigenetics is how we play them. We have the opportunity to change that. Change that. So Seneca, a, a, a Roman orator around the time of Christ, said, it's part of the cure to wish to be cured. And I know I'm preaching the choir here because you signed up for this program. You obviously want to optimize your health. And so remember this. It's a part of the cure. You've got to really want it. And not just want it for one day and one week, or even 12 weeks. You've got to want it for life. That's how you maintain that. And ultimately, we need to understand that we can choose a new direction. You can, uh, can choose a new direction. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Everything depends upon the choices that you make. Uh, though uh, through the right exercise of the will, an entire change may be made in the life. An entire change can be accomplished that we can not only document subjectively, but that you can document objectively with the right test. So I thank you for participating to, to initiating this transformational change in your life. And the bottom line is that you are the chairman or the chairman or the chairwoman of the board of your own health. Make sure that you begin to initiate the change today. Thank you. All right. So this is, this is now your turn. Well, kind of our turn. Uh, this is the time where we transition to question and answers. And I know we've just started one presentation. So uh, those of you that have a burning question, 
You can go ahead and start making your way around to the left of the auditorium, and there's a blue line, blue tape that you can stand at. Okay, so we're going to be taking questions. And of course, remember, these are questions that are going all around the world. So don't make them personal. Make them appropriate to all of us. <laughs> uh, so we're not only taking questions here, but we have questions coming in via the internet from all over the world. So um, we, we are going to, we're going to start, uh, well, actually, let me first introduce our master of ceremonies, our very own senior pastor, Pastor Samuel Nunez, uh, who is uh, the pastor here at the Fallbrook Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in beautiful Southern California. So, uh, Pastor Nunez, what, what do we got here? First of all, we'd like to thank each one of you for coming out to the Fallbrook Seventh-day Adventist Church and um, joining us for Dr. Youngberg's 12 Weeks to Wellness and Optimal Health. And yes, um, we also have viewers online, and we'd like to also thank them for being with us and joining us live from all over the world. We're going to take the next 20, 25 minutes to have um, this question and answer section. And the first question comes from Margaret, who's in Carlsbad, New Mexico. She's been watching us tonight, and the question is, how do I go about finding a doctor who supports me in my goals of regaining my health? Interviews. <laughs> um, you know, they, there's a lot of doctors out there, and uh, the key is finding one that is willing to listen to you, and as I already suggested, finding one who is willing to allow you to make decisions about your health. Because like I said, unless you make decisions, you're not going to get better. Um, I'm not talking about sitting in the ER, you know, having major palpitations and you're going like, oh, I want to think about this. <laughs> now, I'm, obviously, there are times where we, we, need to, we need to say, hey, doc, you're in charge of this. I want to make sure that, that we get this done right. But when it comes to lifestyle-related disease, Okay, it's you that, it's me that are going to make those choices. And so, so I just encourage you to, uh, to just talk to your friends, talk to your family members, find out, uh, get a doctor who's willing to talk to you and who also recognizes the value of lifestyle. We have the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which is... Um, which is an international organization of physicians and health professionals that, that are, is dedicated to treating the cause, focusing on lifestyle medicine, actually training physicians in all disciplines to, to incorporate lifestyle medicine strategies into their approach, whether they're a GI doc, a cardiologist, um, a pediatrician, a family physician, internist, uh, oncologists, whatever it might be, is are they not just open, but have they taken the time to learn how to incorporate lifestyle and nutritional medicine into their practice? So that's what I would be looking for, is, is I would first visit the American College of Lifestyle Medicine website and uh, get more information there. Thank you. I'm going to ask a question. <laughs> and um, the question is, Besides writing my goals and wishing to change and wishing to, to achieve them, what else can I do today? All right, today. Yes. Well, the, the, again, the first part is 
is taking an inventory of your health. That begins with not just writing out your goals, but looking backwards, looking at your family history. Your family history gives you a, a significant insight into what you might be at risk of. And, and so right, documenting that, talking to your aunts and uncles and to your grandparents, finding out what your family members and, and relatives have either died of or who, who have, have succumbed to what illness and at what age, what medicines they're on and why. Sometimes our, the older generations don't like to talk about these things. But, but uh, anytime we get together, uh, it's important to start asking those questions so that we're not asking them after they die and missing that great opportunity. So that's number one. Number two is, is start paying attention to laboratory testing that can help you understand where your weakness is lie. When I was 24 years old, I, I, I thought of myself as kind of Mr. Fitness. Uh, I, I, I was a gymnast. I was athletic. I had been a vegetarian all my life. Uh, and so I thought I, you know, I'd, ever since I was young, because of what happened to my mother when I was 10, I was paying attention. I thought I was paying attention. Of course, there was a lot of things I didn't know, okay, but I was doing the best I could. But I had come to think of myself as kind of having arrived. I was healthy. I was fit. I was 24 years old. I was in my first year of professional training at Loma Linda University. And this was 1984, the very, the very year that Drs. Brown and Goldstein were, were given the Nobel Prize for Medicine for discovering how LDL cholesterol weaved its way into the artery walls, causing atheroma, plaque buildup inside the arteries. And and so I actually gave a presentation on this new novel concept because it was. It was completely unheard of. Doctors prior to 1984, at least 80% of physicians prior to 1984 believed that cholesterol had absolutely nothing to do with heart disease. Nothing. Now we know that cholesterol isn't the biggest issue, but it certainly is a potential contributor. And so I decided, well, I'm going to check my cholesterol. I didn't really need to, but I just wanted to kind of show my classmates how healthy I was. <laughs> Be very careful with that kind of attitude. <laughs> and um, so I looked at the, at the cholesterol ranges for a 24-year-old, and kind of the healthiest 25% of the nation, who were 20, 20 to 24, had a cholesterol around 145. So I'm thinking, well, i got to at least be in the healthiest 25%, right? That was easy. Guess what happened? Three days later, all my friends that had gone to get the cholesterol test at the Loma Linda Medical Center came back, and I looked at my report. It's 244. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing too much better than David. The difference was is that David was over 120 pounds overweight, and he was stressed out. And he had all these signs of, un, of health problems. But I, I was at the pinnacle of what I thought was my health experience. Hmm. Hmm, there's something amiss here. If I had not have tested my cholesterol profile, my lipid profile, I would have continued for many, many years to come thinking that I was healthier than I really was. And I would have missed the opportunity to do something about it. That's the key. 
The key isn't, you know, popping that Mr. Fitness bubble and humbling myself, even though that was probably a good thing, okay? But the key was recognizing that I still had work to do. And you know, we always have work to do. Whenever a new lab test comes out, I'm the first to do it. Why? I want to know. I want to find out if there's another risk factor lurking that I don't know about, and then I'm going to figure out how to fix that. That's how I practice. That's how I work with my patients. I want to figure that out. So, so I, would, I would subjective evaluation, and then I would get right into figuring out what are the labs that I need to follow. There's a whole section on the dryoungberg.com website that talks about labs. It's not comprehensive, by the way. Really, you need to sit down and talk to your doctor or to talk to a health professional about what you need because you're not me. You are you. We need to figure out what your labs were in the past and come up with, based on your family history and all the subjective information, figure out what you need individually. And that begins a strong understanding of what to do next. We have another question from Mary Ellen, who lives in Fallbrook, California. And All right. <laughs> uh, she sent it via email. I raised my kids on the whole food organic diet that transformed my health completely. Yet one child is healthy and the other has been very ill, prone disease. I am puzzled along with all the alternative doctors we have been to. How do I help her? Thank you. Okay, I got a great question. So, wow, you know, as parents, um, as brothers and sisters, potentially, you know, we ask the question, well, you know, how could, how could we have such, such different health outcomes when it seems like at the surface we're doing the same things? Well, part of that is related to what our true genetic base is. So unless we're identical twins, even though we're brothers and sisters, et cetera, we're going to have different genetic risk factors. We're going to inherit different risks. So that, that's why I'm really excited about the whole new field of genetic testing. Genetic testing isn't just to find out if you have those rare, rare mutations that, that cause, cause uh, uh, infants to die very prematurely. Genetic testing it, we're moving into the new era where genetic testing is for everybody. In fact, I personally recommend genetic testing for all my patients. With, the, with some of the, the new tests that have been demonstrated by the Human Genome Project to, to uh, uh, be one of the, the biggest breakthroughs in genomic science, this, this MTHFR gene mutation test. That the, the gene that codes for an enzyme that activates folate, that can influence every cell of your body, of every organ in your body. And so if there's a, if there's a defect in that metabolic process, we want, I want to know about it. In fact, I'm a mutant. I tested myself, I'm a mutant. But I'm happy about that <laughs> because I can change that. I can implement a strategy to nutritionally bypass, largely bypass that mutation. So genetic testing would be good. And then, and then personalizing care. It, there's no one standard for everybody. You know, some people have to be very careful about certain things, where other people don't have to be quite as careful about certain things. Uh, so that's why testing broadly gives us an understanding of where we need to be to optimize our genetic potential. Okay. 
We have a question. <laughs> All right, Dr. Young, we have a question. As a young person, personally, what can young people, myself, be doing to optimize my health now so that later on, because a lot of these problems that we're talking about um, uh, definitely relevant, um, but a lot of them personally, I think a lot of young people I know that I don't personally struggle with. So what can I be doing now to down the road be uh, optimizing my health now? Okay. So uh, great question. Thank you. The, the bottom line is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, young people, especially young people who are hoping and planning to have children sometime in the near future, what you do now has the biggest impact on, on the heritable parts of not just your genes, but whether the genes, like I said, are turned off or turned on. So you now, by, by choosing healthy diet, a healthy exercise program, uh, but far more than that, I, I want to make it clear, just having a healthy diet and a healthy exercise program does not necessarily generate optimal health. There's many ways that you can tear down the benefits of a healthy diet and a healthy exercise program. But they're clearly two important pieces of the puzzle. So, and when we improve our diet, we start to improve other areas as well. Every one strategy that we're going to be outlining in, in these 12 weeks influences all the other strategies. So, so when, when people ask me, well, what's the most important strategy? The, the, the quick answer to that is the ones that you're not following, right? And, and frankly, you know, just think of it, most of us are good about a few of them, but we're really bad with some of them too. And that's just the way we are as humans. So we need to become aware of the ones that we struggle with. I would say that for young people, and we're going to, again, talk about this at, at, at another session. But for one, young people, one of the things I see that's destroying the health of young people the most is their sleep habits. Now, hey, we all struggle with this. You know, just, just you know, uh, trying to monitor the over 1,000 emails that came in over the last seven days registering for this program uh, kept me up late at night. And so I wasn't really following my own health advice there for a while. I was just trying to keep up. I didn't realize, you know, the, the impact this might have. And so, so my exposome right now is not as healthy as it should be. What do I do? Okay, make plans to not repeat that and, and, and recommit myself to getting to bed at a reasonable time. And we'll talk more about what that means. But we need to be true to the circadian rhythm because we can... We can Essentially, not sleeping well is like, is like using caffeine like an addict. It will destroy your adrenal glands. It will increase your risk for all kinds of problems. So we got to figure out how to do that right, and we'll be talking about that quite a bit. Okay, thank you. We have another question from our audience. Hi there. I wanted to ask you about, um, about gluten-free diet. Okay. Um, my son's six years old, and he has cystic fibrosis, and he's allergic to milk, eggs, soy, wheat, and peanuts. So it's hard to create a diet for him. But I noticed the last year or so, it's been a lot easier in the stores because, like, Vaughn's has a mark on it. It'll say gluten-free, a little right. sign. 
on everything that's gluten-free. And then I have to look at it and make sure it doesn't have any milk or eggs or, you know, in it besides that. But um, what do you think about, I know a lot of the, for his illness, my wife is on the internet all the time talking to people throughout the country that have this illness and they seem to all be jumping on the gluten-free diet. Um, and to tell you the truth, it's hard to find gluten-free stuff that tastes really great, <laughs> but I've seemed to find them some pretty good stuff. Yeah. You know, just here, try this, try that. And, you know, and it, 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 with his illness, the whole thing is trying to get their, keep their weight up. How much do they weigh? If they're not weighing enough, then they, they start getting real mad at you. The doctor's about, hey, you got you to gotta feed them more. Well, this kid eats day in, day out, and runs around like crazy. And, uh, and he, he's, you know, 50 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, so good, great question. And by the way, we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at this bigger issue of diet in the next session. And... and um, but, but uh, in short, to answer this question, that, that is the reason we have to personalize testing. Not just laboratory testing, but actually, actually challenging this system with different foods to see how the body reacts. You go off of it for two to three weeks, reintroduce it, do that challenge test. How does your body react to that? There's all kinds of ways that we have in the health field to determine what foods are best for you. So let me just say that, that there's no one standard for all. We need to figure out what's best for us. Now, there's some general rules that apply to most of us, but not all of us. And so, so I, I am one to try to uh, figure out what's the very best way for this individual that I'm working with to improve their health. Uh, and, and it starts by not being too judgmental about, oh, you don't really need to do that, etc. I definitely see, especially people who have certain illnesses and, or GI problems uh, uh, or inflammatory issues, I definitely see more gluten issues with them. But, but many people are fine eating gluten products. So everybody's a little bit different. We need to figure out what this is. So there's good blood tests that we can help, help figure this out. I just recently had an internal medicine physician who did a phone consult with me, and uh, she actually ordered some of her own tests and found out that she was highly positive to the, the gluten antibodies. And so that was pretty much end of the discussion. You know, I mean, if you do the test and you, and, and you really test super high, then we got to change something. The other thing to be aware about food sensitivities is that sometimes just because you're sensitive to food right now, doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be sensitive to that food for the entire life. It could, be, it could have to do with how much of it you've been consuming lately, or many times it's actually due to something completely different. If you're actually allergic to dairy and you eat that excessively or irregularly, you could actually become allergic to many other things that you're really not truly allergic to or sensitive to. And so that's why we got to look at the big picture, and we'll be talking more about that as we go through through the program. I think we have time for two more questions. Okay. I'm going to ask someone from our audience to come up to the mic, and she will be presenting her question. Um, I have a question. One is, that's kind of a, to want to comment, and I'm a cardiac nurse, and a lot of my patients that we have, they come in, and they don't look like a heart attack. They're fit, and they look healthy, and they said, you know, I just 
went to my doctor and I was, yeah. you know, given the bill of health and, you know, why am I here? And then, you know, the husband's one lady, she looked, she was fit. She exercised and her husband was sitting in the chair eating a hamburger, but she was the heart attack. And so yeah. I, what did you do? Because you were, you know, your cholesterol was high, but you were fit and you'd been a vegetarian all your life. And sometimes I, I start to think, you know, I'm healthy. And I realize that um, just because you're, you might be thin doesn't mean that you're healthy. A lot of your um, lifestyle, you have to look at the whole picture. So what did you do? You were already fit. You were already eating well and vegetarian and exercise. What did you do to um, bring down your cholesterol? Okay, by, by the way, I totally agree with you. I, I used to play master's basketball, which just means you play with old people. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, one, of, one of, I was playing, this is over 10 years ago, in the 40 and over league, mm -hmm. or 40 to 45 league, and the, the fittest guy in our age group, far better athlete, fitter than I was, killed over dead of a heart attack. So fitness, and we'll talk about this as we go through the series, fitness is not sufficient it's not ever sufficient to be healthy. Now, fitness is good. Fitness is very good. Fitness is very important, but it is not in of itself effective enough to reach your health goals. You can have a massive heart attack and be one of the fittest guys in the whole county. Okay? So that's number one. You, you, that's why you have to make sure that you're not using the excuse, hey, look, I'm so fit, I'm so trim, I can eat anything I want. Bad, bad, bad logic. Horrible logic. The, the answer to your question specifically about what I did is that I reevaluated my situation. Obviously, something was wrong. Okay? I, I, I stopped and looked at that, that paradigm of the Apostle Paul. It says, don't, don't conform to what you think is normal, Okay, but be willing to be transformed by renewing your mind. So I had, to, I had to renew my thinking about, you know, what was going on. I had grown up as the typical vegetarian, which is what? A, a lacto-oval vegetarian. I, I, one of my jobs in high school, I was in charge of the exotic cheese section at, like, at, a, at a Whole Foods uh, uh, store. I was the expert on cheeses, okay? <laughs> And, um, and, of course, I had to try every one, right? Because I had to be able to talk to people who came through the store. And, and so I would cut these big blocks of imported cheeses. I'd, I'd wrap them, label them, weigh them. You know, I was the expert. Uh, I love cheese. I mean, who doesn't love cheese? I mean, maybe some people don't love cheese. But um, the, the bottom line is that cheese is one of the highest sources of saturated artery-clogging fat in the entire world's diet. So if you have any risk whatsoever for cardiovascular disease or diabetes or heart disease or, uh, or cancer, right, Sat high saturated fat diet is going to set you up. So I had a little, um, little work to do on my, my values regarding diet. So for myself, I realized that I had to I had to decide to say no to something I really enjoyed in order to say yes to something that was even more important to me, right? Setting goals. And now that we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about setting limits on ourselves. You know, that's really unpopular. I'm not setting limits. You know, I don't want to set any limits on myself. If you don't set limits on yourself, you're never going to succeed at anything. Not, 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 we're not just talking about health. 
We're talking about anything. So any, any good businessman or woman, any, uh, anybody effective in any walk of life knows that they have to set limits because it's by setting limits that you, you excel and you succeed in doing the things that are most important. So we'll be looking at that, those issues as we move forward. Okay, we have several emails coming in from Roseville, Georgia, Culberson, Montana, and somebody from Taguig City, Metro Manila in the Manila. Philippines Road. Yes. Okay, we're been there. Ask, Love it. We're going to ask somebody <laughs> from our audience. Um, I'm going to invite him to come up to the mic, and he's going to be sharing with us a question. How does sodium deficiency affect our bodies? Can you repeat that? How does sodium deficiency okay. affect our bodies? Okay, well, boy, you're challenging us right at the very beginning, huh, Doc? Okay, so, um, you know, we're going to be talking more about that. So that's an interesting question, potentially a loaded question. Um, bottom line is that most people get too much, right? No question. Now, there's studies out there that, that actually suggest that if you decrease the sodium content in the average American's diet adequately, the, uh, you will lower the risk uh, and the burden of disease to a greater degree than if everybody stopped smoking. Okay, think about that for a second. Okay, so, so there's no question that, that we need to do better at controlling sodium or salt intake. That the bigger question in my mind is where is that sodium coming from? See, most of the sodium, actually there's, there's a lot of sodium in a 100% unadulterated plant-based diet. A third of the sodium we get is just naturally in food. In other words, you're not going to be generally deficient in sodium because it's already in the food. But... Um, but the problem is, is when we eat processed foods largely, that's just loaded with sodium. Why? Because it activates those taste buds. And it's not just sodium, it's the monosodium glutamate and those, you know, taste tantalizers that you end up eating a big old bag of chips and you weren't even hungry. You didn't even realize you ate them all, right? So those things can create havoc on our system. Uh, but there are and I suspect this is part of your question, there are individuals that truly are sodium deficient and, and we need to actually replace a little bit of sodium into, into their, their diet to help optimize. See, it's, it's all about optimizing. You can, have, you can have diabetes with high blood sugars or you can have reactive hypoglycemia and adrenal fatigue, which is the opposite side. Say, it's not always good to just keep lowering the blood sugar, okay? There's a point where the blood sugar can go too low, and that's more dangerous than high blood sugar. The same thing is true for sodium. There's a point where that gets so low, that's far worse for you than high sodium. So I know there's some people with adrenal fatigue that's serious, that actually need a little bit of sodium every day. I have a patient that he, he realizes a young child, because of, of Addison's disease, he didn't know it at the time, but he had Addison's disease, that he actually carried rock salt in his pocket as a child. And every time he felt like fainting or his energy would just go into a dead spell, he'd take a little rock salt, put it into his tongue, and phew, energy would come right back. 
Okay. Now, don't use that as an excuse to salt your food because most people don't have that problem. But, but that's something that you really want to work with a health professional. I would say that I, I, maybe in terms of my patients, uh, maybe a fifth of my patients have adrenal fatigue, and we need to, we need to, to address that sodium issue a little bit more carefully. So it's, it's not true that just everybody's got to go get rid of salt. Okay? Uh, I, so I'm getting a little too clinical now. Uh, most of us get way too much. Okay? So let's come up with a good plan to lessen it. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank each one of you for the questions um, here in the audience and also those that were sent via online and via email. And if we didn't get to your question, we will try to get to it next time we meet. And Dr. Youngberg, thank you again. When are we meeting okay, next Okay, I just time? want to uh, go on record that because of prior commitments, we're not meeting next week, but we are meeting in two weeks, and there's not any further interruptions as far as we know uh, for the rest of the series. So this will give you two weeks to do some research. <laughs> This will give you some time to, to write out. And we're, 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 I'm going to be sending you emails. Okay, so, so pay attention to your emails. Uh, uh, start working on your goals. Start working on your overall medical family history. And uh, by the way, if you want to read a book that helps really set the stage for what we're going to be covering, uh, I had the opportunity with a great writer, uh, Elise Harbolt, to put together the book Goodbye Diabetes uh, with my publisher, Dan Houghton. And uh, that book is available on uh, dryoungberg.com. Uh, and it will actually be a workbook that is certainly not required, but I would recommend it to those who want to have a book that will help guide you through this 12 weeks to wellness and optimal health that will help you further understand these principles that we are discussing uh, in this series. So with that, I, I wish you uh, a, a good week. And remember, for you, all those of you on the East Coast, uh, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> Don't get too excited. Just relax, go to bed. And for those of you watching in Finland, it's time to go to work. Okay, so or pretty soon at least. Uh, and, uh, and those of you on Guam, it's, it's uh, time to go back to work. So uh, anyways, uh, thank you for being here, and uh, we will continue this at the next session. God bless.